0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. All right, welcome back from worship and from the kids lesson. That was awesome. Awesome. Uh, I don't even need to preach. Uh, we can go now. I'm just kidding. Um, I will say I love it when I get to be here to watch, to listen to worship in this room. I'm really excited for when we can all be together again, um, safely. Like I cannot wait. I'm very excited for that. Um, so again, my name is Ben. I'm the pastoral intern, intern here at Unison, and we're glad to have you. We're uh, welcome whether you're on Zoom or on Facebook or the people who are here helping run things and uh, making it go smoothly, thank you. Um, But yeah, welcome. I have two quick announcements before we uh, dive into Scripture for today. We are in week three of a corporate fast as a church. So this week, the suggestion is to fast from TV and movies. This will be my most challenging week yet. Um, But I want to encourage you, fasting is not about how well you can do, and it isn't also just about getting around the thing that you're giving up. It's more about depriving yourself of something that you want, taking that desire and fervently praying with it. And along with these fasts, we have suggestions for prayer focuses. And it wasn't an email that uh, our lovely director, Candace sent out to everybody ahead of the Stancils sabbatical. Um, the prayer suggestion focus, prayer focus suggestion for this week is for the... Um, Sunday serving teams, so that's the First Impressions team, the Worship Arts team, and the Teaching and Preaching team. Uh, you can pray that God will equip his church with skills, strength, joy, sustainability, um, and further rest in him in all these areas. Uh, so that's the first, the first um, announcement. I just want to say, figure out what works for you with this fast. Um, it's not about giving up you know, four hours of TV and just reading a book for four hours, but it's also not about just praying for four hours. So figure out what works for you where you can take that desire to pray for something uh, that's you know, this suggestion, this corporate fast that we're taking. Uh, I think for me, I can't decide. Either I will not watch TV while the sun's out, or maybe I'll just do cold turkey every other day. Something like that where it's, where I won't give up, but it'll still be a challenge. Um, So figure out what works for you. If you're in your um, Zoom meeting after this, then that's a great place to talk about it and to work it out. Um, And also, the second announcement is, I want to invite all teenagers to youth group. Uh, Every time I get a chance to preach, I invite anyone with teen in their age to join us for youth. Right now, we meet over Zoom, and that's at Sunday nights from 5.30 till 715 we spent half an hour on this app called House Party, which is basically like, uh, like FaceTime, but it has games like built in. Uh, so we hang out on there for a half hour, and then we have Bible study and discussion after that on Zoom. So uh, we'd love to have you, and uh, if you're interested, you can either like, leave a comment on Facebook or tell, some, tell your house church leader uh, and get a hold of me that way. Uh, we'd love to see you, to have you there. Um, So with that, I think we'll start our sermon. Will you please pray with me? Lord, again, we take time to slow down. We take time to look into your word, to look at it carefully, and to let your spirit work on our hearts when we don't understand it. To let it reveal, to speak, to let it speak for itself, to reveal about you what it wants to reveal about you. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the chance to share. Would you please speak through me um, and bring us to wherever you're leading us as we look at your book of the covenant today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're in week three of our sermon series, Becoming. We're working through the second half of Exodus, and um, this is like right after the Exodus gets done, what happens in the rest of Exodus? That was kind of the focus for what we would talk about today. Uh, what we talk about during this time. Uh, And today we're in Exodus chapters 21 through 23. And I've titled the sermon Relevant because one word titles are cool. Um, I want to start with a statement uh, that the Lord has worked through, worked on my heart through this week. And it's on a slide. Every command of God is rooted in love in some way. I'll say it again. I'm going to say it five times today. Every command of God is rooted in love in some way. I was talking with a mentor of mine, not Pastor Chase. Uh, We leave him alone while he's on sabbatical until March 14th, unless he reaches out or something. But anyway, it was a different mentor than Chase that I was talking to about. um, It came up that I'd be preaching here today about these chapters in Exodus. And this mentor, he's my small group leader at my seminary. um, He said... Wow, that's a doozy. Well, as you already know, every command of God is rooted in love in some way. And then the conversation moved on, and he prayed for me, and it, it was great. I should have told him, no, I didn't really know that. Or maybe I forgot, or I wouldn't have said it that way, or I don't know. When, when you get focused on different things, you don't look at a chapter, a section like this very often, you start to forget what you know. But every command of God is rooted in love in some way. That sentence worked through me over the past few days. One characteristic of God is that he is simple. We call it a divine simplicity. It's, a, it's an attribute of God. Um, so God is one piece. He's not made of parts. He's like a diamond with many facets. You know, you turn a diamond and it looks different. It's still the same diamond. It's just seeing a different part of him. This leads Like in in theology, this leads to say that God is his attributes. He embodies them perfectly. He is the perfect embodiment of mercy, the perfect embodiments of justice, the perfect embodiment of love. He's made of it, he exists to exude it, to put it out into his created universe. He's all about love. As we look at these chapters, I want you to keep that in mind today. As you listen to this sermon, Think back. I will, I will be reminding you of here and there. Um, but think about that sentence. This would be kind of a steak and potatoes sort of sermon, the way uh, Chase tends to talk about it. But hopefully I'll be able to cut the pieces small enough so that everyone can be on the same page. Uh, but I think you guys can handle it. All right, so for this section of Exodus and others like it in the Old Testament, some Christians who don't read it very carefully and many non-Christians who would never be caught dead reading these chapters, um, they may see it as a problem for their modern ethical concerns. Christians and others do a few things, two things I want to highlight. They don't read it carefully. Maybe you saw the series, you saw that we'd be in the second half of Exodus, and you're like, you know, I'm going to read that ahead of our engagement with it as a, as a church. But and kudos to you, proud of you if you did that. You can start now. Um, But outside of that or a yearly Bible reading plan, Exodus is usually pretty low on people's lists. And I'm sure that you may skim through this, uh, even when you do read it. So I want to encourage all of us, myself included, not to neglect the Word of God, but to consider the full counsel of his revelation to us. When you really understand what God is saying by each element in the Word of God, You can see how each story fits into his grand plan, his grand design of restoring the world to himself, to perfect relationship with himself. It's the the same thought with the parable of Jesus where he says, a man found treasure in a field and he sold everything he had to go buy the, the treasure. If you really understood the gospel, if you really got it, you would be free from every other desire of your life. You would be free from the need to you know, make a ton of money or to, uh, to have pride or to have you know, selfish interests. You would be able to give up everything you have just to know it, just to, just to possess it. So that's the first encouragement is to read this carefully. And the second, Christians and other people are embarrassed at God's apparently outdated laws. They're tempted to throw away all the laws that don't immediately apply to their lives. His laws, I'll say this, His laws aren't in our Bibles so that we can apply them one-to-one to our lives. I'll say it again. The laws of the Old Testament aren't in our Bibles so that we can apply them one-to-one to our lives. They're there for a much greater reason, and we'll um, talk about that later. Um, how, we say things about God, like He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we get that from Scripture. Um, But we read these uh, sections in Exodus where it looks like God is condoning slavery or where God is vengeful, where it looks like he's saying, uh, measure out justice this way. Poke out someone's eye if they poke out yours. And you you throw it away. You say, "This this doesn't make any sense. But I wanna encourage you, read it carefully and understand that God can defend himself. God is big enough to defend Himself. The Sinai Epiphany. I left this up here, Christine, Christina's awesome um, props, because we're still at the Mount uh, Mount Sinai. We're still there. Moses is on the mountain receiving words from the Lord to share with the people of Israel. Um, this Sinai Epiphany and God's messages to His new people during this stage of their Exodus are some of the most important moments in the Old Testament. They're not worth skipping. They're worth reading. God gives Israel the Ten Commandments. That's what we talked about last week when Pastor Christina spoke. These are the clear house rules for being a subject in God's new kingdom on earth. That's Exodus 20. And again, today I'll say uh, Exodus 21 through 23 is what we're reading through. Following right after that, we are led to our text for today. I'll read verses 1 through 3. Exodus 21, verses 1 through 3. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. This is the first chunk, the first, the first look at this book of the covenant. Um, we get the name for the book of the covenant over, it's two pages over. It's Exodus 24, verse 8. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the book of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This was after he he uh, proclaimed the law to them and ratified the covenant with the people. So these are the laws you are to set before them. I want to say, I'm reading from the NIV, and it's usually my favorite Bible translation um, but I think it gets it wrong here. Um, the, the word laws there in verse 1, that, you know, laws can work. It, it carries us the right meaning if you understand it properly. But what's really meant here is ordinances, uh, possible situational judgments. Uh, I have it on, a, on the next slide. Um, uh, God tells Moses ordinances to share with the people. Most translations most of the major translations take a word that is not laws. They take um, you know, ordinances, like I said, or judgments. Um, these aren't the very words of God, but rather potential rulings that a judge might give on a case-by-case basis. The specific word they chose set the stage for placing the importance of the following words. In Exodus 20, verse 1, you may see it says, "...and God spoke all these words." It's a little ambiguous whether this means everyone in Israel heard those words or if it was just Moses. It's a little ambiguous. But the point is, God spoke. These are the Ten Commandments, right? And then, after we have the Ten Commandments, we set them up a little bit. Then God says to Moses, these are the laws you should set before them. And then, and then here's the information we have. I want to take a quick note Slavery in ancient times uh, was not like American, North American slavery. Um, The slavery that we tend to picture when we see this word in our Bible is... Certainly those kinds of abuses probably existed, and and I'm sure that it happened. But slavery on the whole was more like um, debt servanthood. If you were in a great debt, you went into service for a few years to work off your debt. Um, And you'll see that even in some cases... Uh, masters were so kind or so good to their slaves that the slave, there's a law in here, it's uh, verse five, I didn't read it. Um, the slave can say, you know, I wanna live with you forever. I wanna be a permanent part of your household. I don't think that's very common uh, when we think of American slavery. So yes, the word is, is probably the right word in English, um, but on the whole, it wasn't as bad, mostly. Still, it, there were abuses. Anyway, I needed to say that little, uh, little break in there. We can look at the function of law in the ancient Near East. Um, in the ancient Near East, kings would uh, step into rulership. I have it on the slide here. Um, and they would put out new laws, and they would say, here's the changes, here's the rules I'm going to make. This is how I legitimize my reign. This is how I say, Um, I'm the king, and here's my changes. This is similar to how a new American president can be seen on day one with the stack of executive orders that they're going to sign into law. They have some new changes. They're establishing their rule. Um, In ancient times, as well as current times, kings exert their influence by telling the, the people about their new changes. There's another element of the law in the ancient world that we see show up in the book of the covenant, in these three chapters in Exodus. It's this principle called lex talionis. That's a Latin word, Latin phrase, which means um, law of retribution. It's the ancient standard for retribution. It shows up in other cultures as well as Israel. Uh, We see it in the Bible in Exodus 21 verses 23 through 25, and a few other places. We'll talk about this more uh, near the end of the sermon. Um, So that's just a taste to keep you engaged, right? Uh, The giving of laws formalized an agreement where a relationship already existed. So you can't think of the the giving of the law as the establishment of the relationship. It's actually the other way around. The relationship gets established, and then the laws make it official, kind of like a marriage ceremony for us. You don't get married right when you start dating or right when you start courting or whatever. You get to know each other, you're dating, you get engaged, and then t- typically in our, you know, in our culture, there's a period of time where the relationship is, you know, it's, it's almost fulfilled, it's, it's all there, it's solid, you very much, you love each other, and then there's a formal ceremony that ratifies the covenant. The law, the rules, the things you add to the relationship, they don't start the relationship. They establish, uh, they formalize the agreement. The book of the covenant contains guidelines for the maintenance of Israel's relationship with God, not the basis for it, not the rules for it. Don't forget that Israel's relationship with God is totally dependent on his saving of them, his strong, powerful arm rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. They're already his. And then he gives the covenant to say, all right, here's how we can maintain this relationship. God gives them the law and Moses ratifies the covenant with the people in 24 verse 8, like we read. This seals the deal. God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Then the people get the privilege of keeping the law. A better word for it might be the Torah. This is what even modern Jews call it, and Jews of Jesus' time, they called it the Torah. That's the, the instruction, the laws in the Pentateuch uh, in the Old Testament, the laws at the beginning of the relationship between Israel and God. They get this privilege of keeping God's instruction. It's not like you're, you're, you know, you're stuck to this, and you must keep it, or else I'll throw you away. There is you know, covenant punishments and covenant judgments that come for disobedience, but the point is they are God's people, And now they get the privilege of keeping his Torah. So our our section is a collection of case laws. I know I'm giving a lot of background here, but I think it'll help us to uh, be in the right frame of mind when we look look at the words themselves. It's a collection of case laws, as opposed to a law code, right? So there's two things I want to set up. A law code is the entire gathering of laws for a whole people group. It covers every single situation, It's probably this thick, right? It's, you know, I think of like our laws. When you want to look up some new law that um, gets passed or whatever, there's like 10 numbers to identify where it is. This is a big collection of laws. There is another kind of law. There's case law where uh, you have an if-then statement. That's what most of these are. It says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you. But in the seventh year, he shall go. Whereas in the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall not have another God. You shall not. That's, that's a command as, as compared to a case law, a law that explains certain situations. They do not define the ideals of Old Testament ethics, but they offer a righteous or just judgment, which the judge may choose to issue. These, based on comparison and observation of other cultures, how they use case laws. These are setting maximum punishments and establishing God's standard of care in the decisions that judges will make for his people. As this people group became God's people, as they were becoming God's people, they were to become more like him. They were to follow his his commands, uh, make judgments along the same sort of uh, decisions that he would make, and represent him in the world. So, like I said, we've spent a long time looking at the background of this text, but I think now we're prepared to dive in. Take a look at the text itself. I won't read the three full chapters up here, but I want to highlight the character of God that comes through a few of these laws. Look at me with chapter 21, verses 7 through 11. I'll read it now. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, or marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. At first glance, this sounds barbaric. This sounds ridiculous. I wouldn't want to follow. If, if someone said this now, I wouldn't want to follow them. But at their time, in their culture, the Lord was making a move from, from a bad you know, possible way to be to an excellent one for their time. At that time, fathers found uh, husbands for their daughters, They took care of the the daughters until she was, you know, of age, and then they went out and found a suitor to take care of their daughter. Um, The suitor would usually pay a dowry, like some amount or some bit of property, to the daughter herself, and that's counted as toward the family, right, toward the father. The suitor would give the gift to the daughter, and that's a way of buying into the family. This was... um, You say, all right, I'll take care of her now. That's how the culture worked. That's how it still works in in many parts of the world. Um, A father could conceivably give his daughter away as payment. Um, It's a little grisly, uh, but the idea is kind of pawning her off early or without really putting much thought into it as a payment. This law that says more about God than it says about the actual law. That's The the principle here is the law that we read, these laws that we read, say so much more about God than the actual judgments uh, should mean for us. They say, God cares about that woman. She is not to be cast aside. She is not to be starved or sold to foreigners or denied. She is to be cared for and loved. And if she isn't, she can go. God is concerned for the basic human rights of that young woman. She's not to be mistreated, not to be cast aside. If she was put in that situation by her father, by circumstance, by what, whatever reason, then her husband is required to care for her so she isn't ignored, left destitute, or sold off to some foreign land. It's so hurtful when people... I'm getting a little emotional because it's so hurtful when people don't understand what God is saying here because they don't read it carefully. They just read it and they're like, get that out of here, you know? God cares about that woman. We'll look at another section a few verses later. I'm just kind of picking some to highlight here. Uh, it's worth reading all of them slowly, over and over. Exodus 21, verses 23 through 27. It comes across on two slides. So I'll read that there. Exodus 21 verse 23. We've been talking about a fight that happens between men and they accidentally hit a pregnant woman and she accidentally has birth early. So this is, this is a very specific situation. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, Wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. So there's... uh, putting these next to each other is kind of confusing because God says, eye for eye, punishment for punishment. And then he says not to do it right next. I don't, that's weird, right? Um, We come back to that law of retribution that I mentioned earlier, that eye for eye, that lex talionis. It is helpful to look at the rest of the Bible and the world around the Bible for help in understanding how parts of these chapters should be interpreted. That was a, a big sentence, right? But basically I'm saying, look at the full counsel of scripture, And it's okay to look at what other cultures did, how other cultures did it. Because these standards, uh, they sometimes line up with what the other cultures said. Uh, They wrote down their laws, too. And we found some records of these, right, these other cultures. We have this record of Israel's laws, right? We have records of some others, too. Probably the most famous one is called the Code of Hammurabi. And I have it on a slide. This is a giant rock. They call it a stella. It, the point is that it's a, it's a big rock. It's on the left there, obviously. Um, it has a nice pretty picture at the top, probably about Hammurabi getting the law from the God, right? And then underneath it is carved all the words. This is probably 1700 BC, uh, You know, about 500 years before Israel's rescued from Egypt. He wrote down all those laws... On that, on that rock. And we have that. It was amazing. It's an amazing discovery. It has this same uh, lex talionis in it. It says law for law, there is, or eye for eye. It's establishing the maximum punishment uh, for retribution. There are similarities in this section of Exodus to that treatise of laws. There's nothing wrong with the things looking like God. Uh, but we aren't sure if they actually come from His hand or if they're from him. maybe God gave that law to them. I don't know. Um, I don't think Scripture is making that claim. It's not. Uh, but we see the same words in, an, in a foreign document, like a different a different religion. interesting. Um, this kind of it <laughs> brings me to the silly example on the right, the Jesus toast. Maybe you guys have heard of this uh, sort of thing that someone cook some toast in their toaster, and it pops up, and it looks like Jesus is burned into the toast. These things sell on eBay for 30 grand. Someone paid $30,000 for that piece of bread. Man, and maybe you've seen they have other toasters that you can like put a picture into the bread, right? Like that, you know, you could put anything in there, right? But like this is just random burns in the bread, looks like Jesus's face. It's kind of a silly example, but my point is that stuff can look like it's God, or look like it's from God, but not necessarily be from him. It can, I don't know if I'd say that the Holy Spirit, you know, superintended that bread to, like, I don't think I would say that. So <laughs> things can look like God, but not necessarily be uh, becoming from him. This idea of limiting retaliation, that's the thing I've said a few times. To us, that sounds kind of harsh, right? Like, eye for eye. Like, if you poke out my eye, I'll poke out yours. That sounds harsh to our ideas. But actually, it's limiting it. If someone poked out your eye and you uh, burned down their house, like, that's worse. You know, that, that's bad. You can't, you can't do more than what someone else did to you. Um, only what was taken from you uh, in the Bible gets his point from Lamech in Genesis 4, verses 23 through 24. I'll go there and read it now. But Lamech is a descendant of Cain, and without diving into everything, basically, he brags about how crazy he is about revenge. So I'll read the words to you. It's Genesis 4, verses 23 through 24. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So you know that when Cain killed Abel, the the Lord put... The mark of Cain on him and said, Anyone who hurts Cain, they're going to be punished seven times whatever they did to him. That was God saying, uh, He's mine. He's not for anyone else to take retribution. He's mine. Um, and Lamech says, I hope my bounty is infinitely more than Cain. I hope my bounty, I'm going to be so, so vengeful, so powerful in the way I respond to being wronged that I hope God puts Uh, an infinitely higher bounty on me. He's bragging. He's saying, I glory in my pride, in my self-aggrandizement, in my uh, self-achieving what I say I want. He says he kills men for wounding him. Um, This law that we read about the, you know, going back to Exodus 21, we see... um, in the book of the covenant that it limits the revenge that a person is permitted to take when they are wronged. If someone got in a fight and you know with another person and they happened to hurt like a pregnant woman who gave birth like I would want to just flatten them, right? Like that would just be um that would be what I would think to do, right? Um, but the point is that God is saying, "Hey, hey, hey. I care that you don't avenge yourself." at least beyond what is actually right. And then later we'll see what Jesus says is, uh, let me do the avenging, right? But we'll get to that again later. When God says the limit among his people, uh, for when a slave is blinded by their master, the, the punishment or the, the recompense, the retribution is freedom, compensation, not retaliation. So I, I, I read 23 and 24, and now I'm in, or in 25, and now I'm in 26 and 27, where God goes against what he says. He says, um, like I already read it, you know, if you hit it, if an owner hits the slave, destroys the eye, they are to go free to compensate for the eye. God doesn't desire random destruction either. So I think it's, it's interesting to look at, something to spend more time thinking about, that um, even though God says right there, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hurt for hurt. Then he says, actually, if a slave loses their eye, well, don't go poking out the master's eye because maybe that's not worth it to him or maybe his retribution looks a little different than how ours looks. God doesn't desire pointless damage. That's another quality of God that his love shows up through his commands. His love for the world, for all people, for justice, shows up in his commands. The next one I want to look at is Exodus 22, verses 7 through 9. And I'll read it for you. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges, and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. And I'll, I'll stop there. Trust is absolutely essential in the community of God. The basis for the agreement has to be a significant personal risk on the part of both parties, which holds each of them accountable. God, can, God cares that his people trust each other. Uh, I want to take a moment to kind of address something that, again, it might seem like a problem if you really don't get it, but... Um, I just want to say it out loud. Some of these laws seem to assume home ownership. Like, they seem to assume that you're in an established place, and you have, you know, if you read it, you'll see they, um, one of the laws calls for the man's ear to be pierced against the doorstop. Like, do people have wooden doorstops while they're, like, going through the wilderness? Um, Nope. (laughs) They don't take down their houses and carry them. They have tents or something. They have Uh, these laws sometimes seem to assume home ownership and that would say like wait a minute like how does that make sense like did God give these laws after they were in Israel or did he give it to them on the mountain to Moses like they said when they were at Sinai Uh, I think this uh, reflects our desire or at least our typical way of thinking about history is to say everything I have written That is the result of a paparazzi crew with a video camera and notepad. They're following Moses around. They were jotting down everything he said, right? That's how we tend to think of history. But actually, the Bible is doing something different with history. Um, So I'm not trying to get God off the hook here. I'm saying he can defend himself. But the way we typically think of history, it's not so helpful for the way the Bible shares truth. Moses' word, by pronouncing the Lord's word, that carries the weight for the original audience. God can defend himself, and his word is complex. Like I said, this doesn't explain everything, but it should get us on the right track. So when you're concerned, when you have questions, uh, look it up, or ask someone you trust, and maybe they know. I don't know. Someone out there probably knows a ton about this. You know, written a whole book on these three chapters, or something like that. It's It's worth looking at the hard work other people have done. So that was my little aside. Um, And we'll look at the next uh, verse. It's in Exodus 22, verse 20. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. I put it with a a black background because it's dark and it's ominous, right? Um, The whole book of the covenant hinges around... Uh, these three commands, verses 18, 19, and 20, uh, they're all on the same level as each other. But verse 20 is the one that we you know, understand most, most easily, so I highlighted that one. The practices outlined in those three verses, verse 18, 19, and 20, those are things that people who are not gods do. So people who don't belong to the Lord, they sacrifice to other gods. But actually, God says, hey, hang on, um, we're not going to do those things. You're not mine if you do those things. Um, this points back to Exodus 19, verse 6, which we talked about uh, last week when Christina read the, the previous section, right? Exodus 19, verse 6 says, and you will be, here I'll read it, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And he goes back to some more More instructions. God calls his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If they're doing those, those three commands, they're saying, you're not my God, someone else is. Uh, so that's why he's so strict about this. God is holy. God, concern, God is concerned that his people reflect him in their holiness. That's another quality of God that comes through. They can't participate in those sorts of things if they're gonna fulfill this, this command of God, or this command. Uh, This quality God bestows on them uh, right when he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. So each of the laws... Oh, I have one more to look at. Exodus uh, 22, verses 22 through 24. Actually, I have two more, so bear with me. Here we go. Exodus 22, verses 22 through 24. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. This is addressed to men, clearly. That's a problem, too, if at first look. Doesn't God give instructions to women and to children? Um, Or is God, you know, just this big misogynist like every other Christian? it's worth thinking about. It's worth, it's worth looking at deeper. I say, no, God gives these commands to everybody, right? Um, but God is on the side of the downtrodden. The point we see through this is that he will avenge mistreatment of a widow or an orphan, of someone who's helpless. He loves fiercely those who are in need of care and protection. His, you know, His punishment that he promises is actually the lex talionis. It's the, I will give back to you what you do to them. And I think God takes a firm stand here because, well, I won't speak for him. It looks like he's saying uh, his anger will be aroused. He'll be on the side of those who are, who are oppressed and who are wronged. And you, you only need to look at the prophets to see. Uh, God isn't joking when he says this. God, uh, most of their judgments that he gives is because of mistreatment of the normal people, of the people who are hurting We have one more to look at. Exodus 23, verses 6 through 7. 23, verses 6 through 7. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. God is concerned to see a justice system that reflects his character. I hope you've heard sort of a, you know, if you're familiar with the New Testament and you're hearing these things, some of them sound a little similar. Like later on, in, uh, towards the end of James, I think he addresses this, this sort of principle, is, is don't show, favoritism to, the poor and don't show partial, favoritism to the rich and don't show partiality to the poor. So the, the point is that God is concerned to see a justice system that reflects his character. Each of the laws we looked at today say something about God. Either he is holy or just, or that he defends the hurting or the foreigner. I didn't highlight the foreigner talk today, but God cares about people who are not Hebrews too. Or he gives basic human rights to all people, regardless of their social status or gender. Regardless of their social status or gender. Remember what I said at the beginning. Every command of God is rooted in love in some way. This brings me to my final point. We'll look at that law of retribution again. When we listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew 5-7, through 7, and sort of in Luke, I think it's 5-6, uh, through 6 or, the, in Matthew where it's organized in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus gives a fresh interpretation of the law to the people who are following him, the people who are listening to him. He has several times where he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say... There's six of those moments in that short collection in the Sermon on the Mount. They, all the people who were listening to him, they knew and they treasured the law of Moses in their hearts. Many of them were excellent at keeping it. You could, you could specialize in it and be that person for the community that says, I know the law and I know how to, how to apply it. Jesus was putting himself on the same level as Moses when he spoke this way, which was no small claim in Israel. But I want to read just one verse, uh, Matthew 5, verse 38, to you. Matthew 5, verse uh, 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, one of those moments, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Same way we talked about in the kids' message and the same way I've been talking about today. When you say those first two phrases, you know, hey, he's talking about that law of retribution, that law that limits retaliation and that establishes importance, like the value of the eye, that value of the tooth, right? You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And he goes on with some more difficult teaching. I want to put all three of these next to each other on that slide where we've seen Genesis we've seen Exodus, and we've seen Matthew, all three at once. Lamech says, may my bounty be infinitely more than Cain's because I retaliate so harshly. Exodus says, well, let's, let's retaliate to the measure of what was taken. And then Jesus says, uh, don't resist an evil person. This doesn't mean give them everything. It just means don't resist them. If Lamech was bragging about how retributive he was, and Moses shared God's concern for limiting retribution, then Jesus, by his teaching, fulfilled the spirit of the original law. We think of the letter of the law, like keeping the rules, and we think of the spirit of the law, following the the ideas that it's trying to communicate. Jesus fulfilled the spirit of that law. If someone pokes out your eye, the worst you can do back, according to the book of the covenant, is poke theirs out. But the spirit of this provision from the law of Moses is fully realized in Jesus' surprise teaching at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said not to resist an evil person, and maybe he meant for his followers to listen. You might think the laws of the Old Testament are irrelevant, uh, but they say things about God that are certainly still relevant. And I encourage you, don't cast them aside. Not every sermon has uh, do something at the end of it. Sometimes uh, it's just about sitting with the word of God, engaging with the word of God. Um, That's how it is today. Sit with this truth. Uh, Remember what you know. Every command of God is rooted in love in some way. And consider God's standard of rightness in the world. Sit at his table and let him make all things right for you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we long for the time when you make all things right. Lord, we long for the time when you will make all things right. We need you more than our next breath. And we're so glad that we get to see you in your word. We're so glad that we get to see you show up in our lives and in the lives of the people of Israel. Lord, while they were becoming your people with this covenant that that established the the guidelines for how to live, how to live with you. Lord, would you um, bring to mind the things that Jesus said? Would you show us guidelines for how to live with you? Would you work on our ethical system so that it looks more like you? Lord, I ask that you would uh, keep these words close to our hearts as we go and that you'll work on us. That you'll make us more like you every day. That by your spirit, we'll be more like you than when we started. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna say goodbye to the Facebook crew now. Bye. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And if you're on Zoom, you know the drill, hold tight and we'll get you into your group. And uh, you guys can discuss. Um, Make a plan to fast this week. However it looks for you, do it. Um, All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.